Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had left the Sadducees speechless, they met together. One of them, a legal expert, tested him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest. Thank you, Mike, for that reading. My name is Daniel Long, and if this is your first time, I'd like to welcome you. I don't know where you are on your journey with Jesus, but we want to be a community that embraces you and lets you know that we are glad that you are with us, and I hope this morning that you encounter the wonderful people that make up Grace Long Beach, uh, but more than that, the the God who loves you so deeply. Uh, And thank you for your prayer, Will. I felt like that was very reorienting. Um, I'd like to pray for a couple things this morning. One is there's a large contingency of women who are at the women's retreat, Marietta Hot Springs, having a great time. Uh, And therefore, there are a lot of gaps in children's ministry, too. So I'm very thankful for those of the people, those probably men who, and fathers, who filled the gaps there. Uh, You're lucky because I almost preached with a a, a eight month old on me. Um, And because that's the type of weekend it's been, actually, my shoelace also broke this morning before coming up, and I had to tape it together. Again, a metaphor for uh, the weekend. Uh, And, but, I want to pray that God would um, honor what the work that he's doing there. But I also want to pray for those of you who find yourself here this morning and you, you are overwhelmed by grief and by loss and by um, just an overwhelming sense of, of, of shadow and of darkness because I think that God wants you to find comfort, so I'd like to pray for you as well. So will you pray as we get into the word this morning? God, you are one who works in our lives always, and God, I'd ask that this morning you would, but I also ask that you would work and that you would honor the work that you're doing uh, with the women at the women's retreat, and I don't know what you're up to there, but I do pray that that there would be a sense of of a real sense of you calling them into a deeper sense of, of who they are, but in reference to you and in relationship to you. God, I also ask that you would be present to those this morning who find themselves um, just holding on for dear life that they're here at all because of the weak, because of the tragedy, because of sadness. Uh, God, I'm thinking of those in Virginia Beach even. There's so many Um, places where you need to be present and you need to bring comfort. So I pray that this morning you would be the God of comfort, that you'd be the God of healing, and that there'd be a palpable sense of your commitment 
to us and your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in between series right now, and so I'm taking the two weeks in between, last week and this week, to share some of the things that I feel like God has been um, impressing upon me. Uh, Really, two different passages. Uh, Last week was Matthew 11, the passage of, of Jesus calling us to come to him, those who are weary, those who are burdened, so that we will find rest in Christ. Uh, and I shared that that was a very reorienting verse because it, what, it, what I think Jesus is doing is inviting us into a relationship with him in order to learn from him the ways, that, and as the message put it, the unforced rhythms of grace, that our life, as it's formed by Christ, we begin to take on the character of Jesus and this yoke that he, that he gives us, that he calls us to, this connection, feels light. And it feels like a very perfectly fitting um, clothing and coat. And that that has been a, a passage that I feel like the Spirit of God has constantly been bringing me back to as a reminder of the remarkable invitation that Jesus offers to us all the time. And then the other passage that I've been thinking a lot about is Matthew 22, the, ch- the passage you just heard read this morning, where God or Jesus doesn't simply invite us into relationship, but he also offers us a pretty strong and deep challenge. He gives us ways to live into the life that Jesus is calling us into. So that, so that these two things together, this invitation of Jesus and this challenge of Jesus might be the things that that shape and form my life. That's my prayer. And perhaps that's a word for us too, Grace Long Beach, that it would begin to shape and form our life together. So if you want, you can turn your Bibles to Matthew 22. Uh, We're going to spend some time just in these two great commandments that Jesus offers. And I want to simply talk a little bit about them, offer some thoughts that, that I've been having and some prayers that I've been praying in relation to them. So Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So it's striking to me that, that these religious leaders are wanting to test Jesus. So they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And of course, Jesus has to go back into the story of Israel to pull from what's called the Shema in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6. And this would be well known. Of course, these people asking Jesus the question, this is what they had in mind. Will Jesus answer the question correctly? So Deuteronomy 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So this commandment, this great commandment, this one thing that God is saying, what they are to do is to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is what Jesus offers as the first and great commandment. But then he adds to it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
of course, Jesus showing himself as the one who not only is connected to the story of Israel, but is the final authority of how to interpret Israel's scriptures and laws. So I want to talk about this a little bit because this is a familiar passage. I mean, I'm sure even if you haven't set foot in church that you've heard this, right? Love God, love neighbor. It's the golden rule. It's how we are supposed to be. But if we think about it, it's really simple. So this is what we're called to do. Jesus offers us two things to do. And yet, if we were to parse out the words, they're infinitely complex. So let's begin with the word love. What does it mean to actually love? What are you, when I say that word love, or when we say to love God and love neighbor, certainly you have ideas in mind of what that's supposed to look like. What informs those pictures? What informs those stories and narratives of what it means to be a person who loves God and loves others? Well, it makes me think, then how, so if you have those pictures, if you have the pictures of books or of movies, of, of things even in your life, of when we feel as if we are loved, when we feel as if we're loving, are those the things that are supposed to be the, the interpreter of that word love? Or are we to go into the biblical story and look at the God who loves and see what type of love he has had for us? And that is the way that we interpret love. So then if we were to think about the biblical narrative, how has God himself loved us? How has God himself loved us? Jake, if you can actually scroll forward to, this, to, the, um, to the elements of love. Uh, I know I put it out of order, messing Jake up, but he's a good guy. He knows what he's doing. So Scott McKnight, a New Testament scholar, he says that in order to define love, we need to look to God. And if you were to look at the story... There are these, these elements of God, these, these different dimensions of love that God shows us of what he's like. So love is a rugged commitment. Love is a presence. Love is advocacy. Love is transformation. So what is, what is he getting at here? Well, if we were to look at, look at the God of Israel who reveals himself in Jesus Christ, this is a God who has covenanted himself to his people covenanted himself in such a way that he will remain faithful from beginning to end, no matter what. The God who says he loves us is the God who rescued Israel from Egypt, who nourished them, who kept and took care of them, to the God who reveals himself in Jesus, who then has a new exodus of, of rescuing people out of bondage and slavery and giving them a new name, giving them a new identity. And that we are then Christians called the church. Forever and all time, God has always been faithful. He is the one who said, I am your God and you will be my people. And nothing will ever change that. Even when the people of Israel rebel, go their own way, do their own thing. Look at Genesis 1, Adam and Eve. Even though they rebelled, God remained committed to them and his creation. Love is rugged commitment. Love is also presence. Love, as God has shown himself to be love, is the one who is always and forever present. He is with his creation, with his people. Love is advocacy. Love is going to the mat on behalf of the people. When they can't do what they need to do, God is there to do it. And he did that for us in the person of Jesus when we were not able to take care of our own sin, 
our own distorted, distortedness, God himself came to advocate on our behalf so that we might then have life. And love is transformation. That when there's a relationship of love or that's around love, what happens is that there is a transformation that takes place. That the people who are loved and the people who do love are then transformed. So if we look at this word in this, in this context, the passage, Matthew 22, so to love God and love neighbor, then we need to go to God to understand what it means to love. And we need to even look at God's love for us if we are to understand how we are to love God in return. So then what does it mean to love God with all soul, heart, mind, and strength? Well, it means to love God with our entire being. It means to remain committed to God. It, it, it means to remain with God continually and always. It means to learn from God, to be with God, to learn his ways and to be open to his advocacy in our lives. It means to go to God in order to be transformed. So in this context, when God says love God, or when Jesus says love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, it means to love with everything we have because that is how God loved us. I love how Samuel Wells puts it. He says this, And what does this God who has given you everything want in return? You guessed it, everything. The word here is all. God has given you everything, life, breath, the whole of creation as your playground and the whole of humankind to share it with. And most of all, his own very life in the person of Jesus. What he wants from you is everything. And his promise is that everything you might lose from giving all away, you will in fact receive back infinitely by receiving all of God, far more than everything. So give all to God and receive back all of God. You see this interplay of the relationship happening here as we move toward God in love, in this committed, present, and transforming way, then we receive God more fully because we are open to his ways. And so as we think about God calling us to love God and love neighbor, it's so important to recognize that this command comes out of the invitation that Jesus has already given to us to come to me. These commands are already within this relationship of God giving everything. So we are simply responding to who God has already shown himself to be. And what's really beautiful is when this takes place, when we begin to love God, we then begin to look more like God. When we are so connected to Jesus, our life begins to take on the shape and character of Jesus. And we will then know and learn how to love our neighbors well. But Jesus doesn't stop at love God. He adds the, another to love neighbor. Now imagine, imagine how striking this is. You have the Sadducees, you have the Pharisees trying to catch Jesus in this trap. Does he know what he's actually talking about? He says he's the authority, the final authority, but is he really? And so Jesus answers it right. He answers it correctly. Yes, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he radicalizes it and says you also need to love your neighbors, those who are around you. Love your neighbor. Imagine a world in which people thought their entire being was to be wrapped up into loving this God with all these rules, regulations, and these different laws. And Jesus says, 
There is also another thing that you are to do that's equally as important. To love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so what does that look like? What does that even mean? But see, this isn't actually something entirely new. Because if we look at the biblical story, we see God always calling his people to love those around them. If you were to go back into Israel's scriptures, there is constant talk of Israel to be God's people or to be people who show mercy, who seek justice, who are to receive the orphan and the widow. That they are blessed, it says in Genesis 12, in order to be a blessing. The love, the blessing, whatever they've received from God is not to stop with them, but is to always move outward to others. And, these, and as we see in the New Testament, what happened was this, these borders were created in which it was all about looking to just fulfill whatever they were called to do, what they felt like they were called to do by God in order to have a correct and right standing. And Jesus breaks that all apart and says, no, love me, love neighbor. These are actually both of the commandments, he says, that will fulfill all the laws and the prophets. So love God, love neighbor. And it's connected to the story of Scripture. Well, here's why I feel like it's been very compelling or reorienting to me. Because we live, and I said this last week, we live in a time when we're constantly asking the question, what is the church supposed to be and what is the church supposed to do? It seems like there are infinite possibilities and questions we could be asking, things we could be doing, initiatives, activities we can be putting our time and energy toward But what actually fundamentally is God calling us to do? And I feel like Jesus makes it absolutely clear. Love God and love neighbor. So simple and yet so complex. Because as we tease out what these things look like, we need to be people who are open to the work of God to show us what it means to move toward God in love and what it means to to move toward our neighbor in love. Because if you start asking questions then, who is our neighbor? What, is, what does it mean to say we are to love our neighbor? Does it mean specifically those who live on your street? Does it mean specifically those who are in your house? Does it mean in the city, the, the different uh, ethnicities and cultures that are represented in Long Beach? The answer is yes. Those are our neighbors. But in order to think about or to feel called and propelled to love, we need to be open to the Spirit of God to showing us who, in fact, God is calling us to love. Can you bring back that Scott McKnight, those qualities of love? So what does love for neighbor look like? Before we even ask the question of what, who is our neighbor, what does it mean to love our neighbor? Well, it means a lot like how God has loved us. So I bring these back up again and to consider them as you think about, okay, if, when you hear the word neighbor, I want, you to, I want you to take seriously who comes to mind. So love your neighbor as yourself. Think about who comes to mind. So what does it look like for, then, for you then to move or to be in relationship with that person in a way that's like covenant, where you're ruggedly committed to that person? What does it look like to be present with that person 
or persons who come to mind? What does it look like to advocate on behalf of that person? And what does it look like for you to be in such a relationship with that person that there is mutual and ongoing transformation? That is the way of love that Jesus is calling us toward. Now hear me very clearly. There is both invitation and there is challenge from Jesus. But I actually don't think that we will love our neighbors in the way that God is calling us to if we don't first commune, connect, be with Jesus to learn how to love. It is easy for me, my generation, specifically me, to do things. It's really easy for me to do a lot of things because it makes me feel like I have meaning. But it's also so easy for those things to take on such a shape that they don't look like Christ at all because I haven't learned from Christ how to actually love in the way he's called me to love. And that is why as we love God and as we are with God we, and we spend time with Jesus, we come to him like in Matthew 11 and learn from him the ways of Jesus, we will then in turn learn how to love our neighbor well. Any ways in which we are called to love our neighbor will take on the shape of Jesus if we are being transformed and shaped by Jesus. But that's where it has to start. So who is our neighbor? I want to go into that question a little bit. Well, I love this quote by Flannery O'Connor, who's a novelist, and, and she says in some of her letters, she says, somewhere is better than anywhere. So what does she mean by that? What she means is particularities are much better than generalities. So it's really easy to talk about loving our neighbor. It's much harder if I start to put a face, a name, or a group of people within that context of neighbor. But if we are going to work out what it means to love neighbor, it means we need to actually find the particular places in which God is calling us to love. And they have names, and they have faces, and they have stories, and they have lives. Somewhere is better than anywhere. And that's why I wanted you to take seriously who came to mind when the word neighbor was said. Because perhaps there's something there. So who is around you? And for some, I do think it might mean starting with your family. Because if you were to be honest, you may not love your neighbor well. If you think about your daily life, in your marriage, or with your kids. For those who aren't married, it might mean those you're in close relationship with your friends. Do you love those neighbors in the way that God would have you love them? In the way that God has loved you? For others, it might actually mean a coffee shop that you go to on a regular basis. It might mean a place where you go and you eat often. For Jake, McDonald's. It might mean that for you. Um, it, might mean, it might mean actually a place where you find yourself pretty consistently. It might be work. It might be the baseball field. It might be at the playground, the different play dates you have, the school your kids attend. God is, is, is calling us, Jesus is calling us to love our neighbors in specific, particular ways. And you have specific, particular places where I think God is calling you to love him and to love neighbor. And this is what's been really interesting for me as I've been praying and thinking through it and taking seriously, okay, God, who is my neighbor? Who might be the people, group of people, the individual you are calling me 
to move toward in love. And I've started making a list of those people to pray through and to pray for, to be sure that those are the people God is calling me to love. And some of them do include neighbors on my street. Some of them do include other people that I'm in regular contact with because of of my kids and their mutual relationships that we have. But as soon as that happens, there's a real sense of trepidation to say, okay, well, if that's true, if those are the people God might be calling me to love in very particular, specific ways, then what's the next step? And I think about us then as a church. What does it mean for us, Grace Long Beach, to ask the question, who is our neighbor? What does it mean to be a local community who profess Jesus Christ as Lord to love our neighbors in the city of Long Beach? What does that mean? What shape does that take? Are, there, are those questions that we are intent on asking? Because the beautiful news that Jesus proclaims is that he says the kingdom of God has come. Or the kingdom of God is at hand. And what that means is that all of a sudden, the good news of what will be, of the place where God dwells, breaks into the present. And Jesus says this means good news for the poor. It means freedom for the oppressed. It means sight to the blind. It means, it means healing. It means freedom. It means good news. That is already true. We are a community of people who says yes to that good news. It says yes to living in the reality that the kingdom of God has begun. It is already. It's not yet. It's not completely, but it is already. And Jesus himself has shown us the way to love in kingdom ways in order that transformation might take place. So what does it mean for us as a church, for you as an individual, for me as an individual, but for us as a family to take seriously this call to love God and to love neighbor? What does that look like? What might God be calling us to? What do you, what do you sense right now in this moment? Is there a next step for you that you're sensing right now in this moment? Take that seriously. I don't know if it is, but it could be the Spirit of God actually putting a sense or an idea that you might need to live into in order to be obedient. But I want to talk about the interrelatedness of these two commandments. It's easy to talk about love God, and it's easy to talk about love neighbor, but these are, these are intimately connected to one another. What Jesus is saying here by offering two is he says, look, if you are going to love God, that will then affect and influence the way you love neighbor. And if you want to actually love neighbor, then you need to love God and move toward God in love. But the opposite is also true. If you want to love God, then we need to take seriously the call to love neighbor. That there's an interrelatedness There's a connection between these two. And if we want to fulfill all the law and the prophets, as Jesus said, it's it's these two commandments to live into and to live toward. But here's what I've been thinking a lot about, and this is just my personal theory. Daniel Long's theory, which you can just toss it if you want. But I think that there's actually an inherent tension also in these two commandments. And I think it's really fascinating that Jesus didn't give us one, but he gave us two to love God and love neighbor, and sometimes do you feel like those are at odds with one another? 
Do you feel like sometimes it's, it's, it's yeah, it's okay, I want to love God. I want to pursue holiness. I want to pursue a life that's distinct. I want to be salt and light. Absolutely. But then love neighbor, what does that mean? How do I do that and be a person who's distinct? Or for some, it, it might mean like, oh, I want to love neighbor. Absolutely. I want to be for my relationships, for my friends. I want to present and bear witness to a love that God has for us that's inclusive, that's welcoming, that, that doesn't, doesn't actually matter where somebody is coming from. But then there's this tension of but to love God and to be holy and to be distinct. How do these two things work together? And my theory is that some of us come at these two commandments from different sides. I think for some, and I don't know why, that we're more inclined to, toward loving God. That that seems like it's a more natural way of being. Yes, thinking about how to be distinct and holy and right living, that just seems like it's absolutely important. And we, that is the thing that we focus on most. And then for others of us, we seem to focus on wanting to be for our neighbor, wanting to be inclusive, wanting to be open. And sometimes, because we come at those in different ways, it seems like we're at odds with those who are different from us. Does this at all make sense or resonate? Because I have conversations with friends. I would say, and I'll just be honest, I would probably lean more toward the love of neighbor just by my natural inclination of, of and I don't even know why. But I have a friend who's on the other end, on the other side. And when we talk, if we don't name these dynamics, it could actually seem like we're at odds and want two different things. Because what matters to him is, no, we want need to be holy. What matters is that we're, that we're taking scripture absolutely seriously. And that, that no matter what, that is the absolute most important thing. And then I can come at it and say, I absolutely, I want to do that. But we also need to love our neighbor and we're called here and we're in Long Beach. What does that mean? How do we do that? And it can sometimes feel like we're butting heads. And it recently dawned on me, like we're starting from the same place. We want to love Jesus and we need each other to learn how to do that. I need somebody, I need my friend to show me, to continually press me toward what does it look like to live like salt and light and to be a distinctive follower of Jesus. And in some ways, he needs me to constantly ask the question, but what does it look like for us to love our neighbors well? And to be open and to, to entertain difficult questions, what does that look like? And my fear is where those two things could become polarized in a sense where we're constantly at odds with one another instead of seeing the need for the other person. And I wonder if what the culture, what our world needs so deeply is for us to take both of these seriously, that they're not mutually exclusive, and to figure out how to do that well. What does it mean to love God in such a way that I can love my neighbor honestly and truly? And what does it mean to love my neighbor in such a way that, that I, can, I am loving and moving toward God? That is the call of the disciple. That is the call of following Jesus. If my friend, who seems to come at this commandment, maybe from the, the love God, as it's easier for him, I can't assume he doesn't love neighbors. And if somebody else has this, this proclivity or the sense to come at the commandment of loving neighbor, they can't assume that they don't love God. How do we work together as disciples of Jesus to continually go to Jesus 
in order that we learn how to love God and neighbor together in the way that he's calling us to. That to me is interesting. That to me, I'm curious what God could do with a group of people who are committed to constantly going toward Jesus to learn what it means to love God and to love neighbor and to be in relationship with others who show me how to do that. That's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of this community that God has brought together. That these commandments aren't just handed to me and then I need to figure them out on my own. But that we can continually live in community to learn how to do this together. And Jesus wants to show us. Jesus is committed to forming us and to shaping us into his disciples in such a way that as we are continually formed by Christ, these commandments don't feel like things we need to do. They feel like the most natural thing we could ever do. But that only begins by going to Jesus to learn from Jesus so that then our lives will be shaped and formed in such a way that we can't help but love God and love neighbor. So thanks be to the God who has shown us his rugged commitment and covenant to us, who has remained committed to being with us, who is an advocate for us, who has given his spirit to us in order that he might empower us to be the disciples he's called us to be. And thanks be to the God who transforms us by his love, that we might then be people who love. This morning, we are going to partake in communion And as we think about love and what it looks like to love, this is the school of love. This is how we learn to love in the way that Christ has loved us. By recognizing that there is a table where God is the host and he says, come. I have given my body and I have given my blood in order that we might receive life. This is where we see the rugged commitment his presence, his advocacy, and where we experience transformation. What an incredible gift it is to partake in communion together. So if you can, I'd like for you to stand, uh, and I'd like for the servers to come forward. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are welcome. You do not need to be a member of this church to partake, but all are welcome to receive. Uh, And people will be saying, will be speaking words to you as you receive the bread and the wine or the juice and I encourage you to listen and I encourage you to hear those words as Christ's words for you and to you this morning.